Hi everyone, welcome to Zoomies, your doggy podcast on Radio Karen. I'm Adriana Milne from Pet Pals Dog Training and today we have the great pleasure to welcome our guest interview in Zoomies, Chiara Perry. Chiara is the owner and senior behavioral a trainer from Point Cook Dog Training and Daycare that is located at Hopper's Crossing. And she's a mind dog trainer and assessor as well. Chiara's background was initially in veterinary nursing at the West Brunswick Vet Clinic, where she started running puppy school classes initially. Her qualifications are Certificate in Vet Nursing, Certificate for Companion Animal Services. She's got CAP Level 1, Clicker Trainer Com Competency Assessment Program Level 1. And Chiara is the author of What Can You Teach Me? A Step-by-Step -step Guide to Basic Dot Training Using Positive Reinforcement. Chiara, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. That's always, <laughs> yeah, busy week, always a long week, but uh, never boring, that's for sure. Yeah, you're such a busy bee. <laughs> Is that uh, yeah, no, I like to keep busy. I like challenges. I oh, like wonderful. challenging dogs and I love challenging cases. So, yeah, oh, that's I, uh, awesome. I struggle to sit still and do nothing. So, yeah, <laughs> thank you for having me. My pleasure. So, Chiara, I was going to initially ask you, how did you start in the field of dog training and how has been your journey and your past professional background before you entered the dog training world as well? It would be nice to chat yeah. about <laughs> I started, I, I mean, I was vet nursing uh, initially and we were one of the earlier clinics in Melbourne to start puppy classes. So it had just become, uh, become heard of and we were certainly keen to get on board and could see obviously the importance of it. So we started way back uh, late 90s. Um, and then I could see there was a, there was something about the puppy classes. That I, I saw there was a lack in education in regards to behaviour, training in general, There was just people just didn't quite seem to understand what we were doing, what why, and what was going on, and also more the behavior issues. So as I started to get through the puppy classes, and I decided to look at doing Delta because I realized there was a um, clearly a methodology that aligned with me, which was working force free, which I strongly strongly follow and, and strongly advocate for. And then from there, it just grew where I became more and more intrigued by behavior, by by how complex dog brains can be and how little understanding there is about what motivates some of their behaviors so it basically grew from there where i started running classes in my garage at home oh your garage had to be cook. a, yes, a big garage running, yeah in my garage at home um and then from there i went from one night to two nights and before i knew it it was it was becoming crazily busy because there was oh. nobody in my area that was running anything of that caliber it was force free and um And I slowly just made my way known through all the vet clinics that I was offering something a little bit different other than correcting and punishing. And from there, people started to make better choices, I guess, where they realized there were opportunities to train their dogs without yelling and doing all the, the old traditional yeah. stuff. So, um, and then, yeah, I moved into a, a, another daycare facility for a while, which was more open space because my garage, I was outgrowing that. <laughs> And then uh, the opportunity came eight years ago to open my own facility because the other daycare center was closing mm -hmm. and it was time for me to start expanding on what I was offering. So now I, I offer all services and we have a, a wonderful facility in Hoppers Crossing where we can run our puppy classes. We do puppy play group as well, adult classes. We do a lot of behavior stuff. We do behavior consults there as well now with veterinary behaviorists. So we offer a full program, a full package. So we're covering every 
every need that we have for these dogs now. So, um, yeah, it keeps me busy. Well, it's really a sensational uh, journey, yeah. isn't it? It really is the ideal, like a dream come yeah. true to have your own facility well, yeah. and everything under one roof. Absolutely. <laughs> and it has grown. Like it's been something that I've just slowly just nurtured and grown more and more and more till it got to the point where it is now. And I've got my staff, which are absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm really satisfied with where I'm at at the moment with what I can provide for everybody, uh, not just on my side of town, but there's people, people come from everywhere because there's, mm. yeah, there's not very many trainers who do behavior stuff as you know there's very mm. few who do that kind of stuff and then and then all the other services that we offer as well it's just yeah yeah so I do the it. owners normally drop the dogs by or do you pick them up on the households nearby with a van uh, so as in for daycare you mean yes or? the daycare part of the daycare yeah. yeah they they we have different different levels so some dogs only come for two hours some mm. dogs come for half a day some dogs come for a whole day And then um, we also do play group, which is for puppies. Mm -hmm. That's specifically for puppies that are a little bit shy or don't have dog friends. They don't have the, – the people might not know pe other friends with other dogs and mm -hmm. they don't think it's suitable or um, they just want something that's a little bit more controlled and managed and that we yes. can supervise what happens and there's no random dog that's going to come in and, and bully their puppies. Yes. So we run those that service as well and the owners have to stay. They can't leave them, so they have to see what goes on. Wonderful. That's we the want ideal. them to learn yes. mm -hmm. what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. So, um, And we also think it's important for them to know whether their dog's enjoying it. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're not allowed to leave. They have to stay and watch. So it's like a little kindergarten, yes. like a parent club. Everyone's there with their coffees. Well, enjoying watching their puppies have a good time and in a, in a way it's like almost an extension of puppy school because after that a lot Correct. of owners don't know what to do where to take Correct. them that's safe enough and that's exactly a, right yeah. so then we sort of start creating this little mini network where they all continue to come in at certain time slots so they, that little group of puppies tend to continue growing up together mm -hmm. and then we have some adults which are amazing with puppies so we end up we bring those in on board as well so they mm -hmm. can work with some older dogs mm -hmm. and uh, integrate them really nicely and the intentions not so that we can end up gaining more daycare clients that's not our intention at all it's just to give these puppies a really good foundation on social interaction but also their handlers their their, their parents to actually understand whether their puppy's actually enjoying it or not yeah and whether they play in the right way or they're not playing so yeah it's really important for them to know that so and then if they choose to continue on that's great but if not no big deal Yeah, because the more traditional dog they care, the owners leave the dogs for the day, go to work, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. long hours, and then they just might be seeing a video to, to yep, look for yep. how the dog's going. So they're not participating yep, so, yeah. in seeing what Our happens. system's very different. So we, we don't allow dogs to start up straight away. We've actually got a very small number of dogs that come to daycare, and we actually prefer it like that. Um, primarily because we only accept really our clients' dogs, the dogs that we know that we've seen and, and from the beginning when they've been from puppy class, so we know them really well. Yeah. The dogs also know our facility well because they started from when they're young as opposed to random adult dogs coming into a new space. It's very mm -hmm. hard to come into an established group of dogs. So it's the same as with humans. Like humans yeah. have their circle and their network. It's very hard to suddenly infiltrate as a new person into that group. Um, it's actually a little bit almost unnatural, and for dogs it's very unnatural. Mm -hmm. So... Um, they start when they're young. They they can't just do a full day. They have to integrate with the small hours, and we need mm -hmm. to slowly see that that dog doesn't want to actually go home. Mm -hmm. So if that dog doesn't want to go home, we know that they actually would like to stay a bit longer. <laughs> we then extend the hours. So the dog determines how many hours they do, not the human. 
And we make that very clear to the the people asking about in, inquiring about daycare that you, they don't decide how long their dog stays for. The dog does. Mm, oh, give the dog choices. It's the dog's <laughs> choice. It. Yeah, exactly right. And then you know we need to make sure that they're enjoying it. So if we see dogs with separation issues, and as soon as the handler leaves the room, the dog's panicking. It's just a straight out no. We reject actually quite a lot. In fact, we reject mm. probably eighty percent of the dogs that come that actually apply to come to our daycare facility. Um, the majority don't actually want to be there. They want to be home. Oh. So then so, they're basically your previous clients from puppy school and, uh, you know, yeah, consult. So all the dogs that come, we've known them since our babies. So mm-hmm. they have very strong relationships with us as well. They trust us. They've, they've, they've been around us from when they're very little. So, and the, the, the good thing is also is their, their, their handlers, their parents mm-hmm. also respect what we feel about their dog. So if we feel that their dog's not coping, they won't dismiss it. They understand that where we're coming from is actually from the dog's aspect. So there's no, I don't definitely don't want to be walking into a workplace where everyone is feeling quite stressed and miserable because they're looking at dogs feeling really stressed and miserable. Mm. So we want to see them playing. And if they're, if they're not playing and interacting, then they shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. So then the puppies integrate later on when they get more comfortable and obviously the older dogs with more experience can work out like a schoolmaster. Uh, no, the dog can teach so much skills as well for the young dogs. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, and, and then we might find that, you know, six months in the dog says, I've had enough. So mm-hmm. I think the other thing about daycare as well is it's it's really, it's it's for adolescent dogs. It's not really designed for dogs who are eight, nine, ten years of age. Mm-hmm. They, they don't actually play like that they actually that just those dogs tend to be more semi-retired so the bulk of the dogs that we have at daycare are all these young adolescents who are growing up still very interested in engaging and playing but we do find that by around the three year four year mark they start to just hang around and for me I wouldn't be paying for a dog to hang around mm-hmm. I'd be I prefer the dogs actually interacting mm-hmm. so when they get to that point we actually retire from daycare we, we start talking to, the, to their owners about it and um, start talking about other options like maybe a dog walker who can take them out for the day. But those dogs usually have had enough. They don't want to mm-hmm. keep partying. They want to actually just start to relax. So, yes, so we retire them. We actually, yeah, we have a little farewell and that's and they finish oh, with day four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're great time. Wow. Yeah. And, it's like, and it's sad for us because we've got we've known them for a long while yeah. and we no longer get to see them at daycare, oh, but we know that right. their time is up. We know when they've said, I'm tired of this playing business. I'd like to just stay home. Thanks. I'm over it. Very clear. Very clear. I'm over it. Exactly right. Exactly and right. Chiara, when you open the daycare, did you have to put special flooring? You know, because of the impact. Uh, yeah, and... absolutely. Yeah, because of disease. So you've got to be careful yeah, about so. things. More so for us, it'll be kennel cough, mm-hmm. um, disease like parvo, not see. You wouldn't get that in our facilities because it's dogs that are already coming in that are vaccinated. Mm-hmm. But kennel cough, obviously, vaccine doesn't completely cover it. And that's something that we have to be careful of. Um, so, yeah, we have epoxy resin on the floor and we re- recode it every year generally. And that means it can be scrubbed clean. It's, it's sterile. And then we have uh, our scrubbing machine as well that goes over it mm-hmm. with... Um, a proper, you know, so you hospital grade disinfectant and that scrubs it. So at the end of every daycare session, that goes over the entire floor surface, scrubs mm-hmm. it and makes it back to brand new. So very important. Yeah, it has to be has to be extremely cleanable. And in regards to the joints, like high impact, if they bounce, bounce too much onto concrete. So, you know. So they actually, one thing we've discovered is as when they first come in, they're like crazy running around, but they learn very quickly that they need to shorten their stride a little bit uh-huh. to put their brakes on because the floor has got a little bit of a, a shiny surface to it. Um, so when they run, we do notice that they actually learn how to control their, their speed much better. They become much more accurate and they, they tend to actually spend more time on the floor rolling around. 
chewing with toys, playing tug on the floor. There's uh, not so much that they run, run, but there's a lot of just, yeah, under the chairs, on the chairs, playing around with their, just doing that whole mouthing, which is lovely because it's all open mouth. There's no grabbing, no pinching. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, well, they play with their toys. They have lots of toys that they play tug with. You sometimes will see one with the corner of their eye with that cheeky look, yes. grabbing a toy, teasing the other dog, like, yeah. come and chase me. And that's quite fun to watch. So, <laughs> But they do learn how to, yeah, how to run on the surface. Even when there's been a wee and we have had to mop the floor and yeah. it's sometimes a little bit slippery for that while, while it's drying, mm. they avoid it. They go around it. They know to just not step over that bit until it's dried up. So mm. um, the dogs are pretty smart, really yeah. clever like that. Mm. And you don't yeah. allow the owners to bring their puppies own toys because they could resource guard or you know from home, um, the toys from but, home. well we don't i don't we, i don't think anyone's ever asked because we yeah. have that much of a variety they yeah, don't need so don't to need and um and i'd rather them break my toys and then break yes. their own nice toys so mm. and um yeah resource guarding some dogs do get a little bit possessive about their toys so we wouldn't want that to become a problem and uh yeah so we just rotate toys all the time we have a lot of the tucker balls um, without food, mind you, they just love the sound it makes rolling around the floor. <laughs> and then they have a lot of tug toys. I love those ones. And then every time I get some new novel toys that I find, it's like for them, it's a highlight. For our daycare dogs, a big highlight for their week is the boxes, cardboard boxes. We throw big cardboard boxes into the pens and they spend hours shredding them. And it's, yeah, play, even again, playing tug of war with a bit of box, <laughs> chasing the games with a box. Um, it's, it's like you're throwing a giant piñata and it's, it's just a box. So they find that extremely fun and entertaining, oh, yeah, which is very cool. Messy for us, yeah, because we've got to clean it oh, all up. Oh, yeah, I'll just shred the cardboard the day, like cardboard everywhere. <laughs> but you can see satisfied dogs who've just see. had the best time just shredding. Oh. It's like so good. Great. So, Chiara, we're going to have a tiny break and uh, we'll be shortly back after the radio announcement. And you're listening to Zoomies on Radio Karen. Hey, everyone. We're Friday Night Frothies. What's it all about? It's about laughter and not taking yourself too seriously. Ah, it's about sports and current events. And we might even introduce you to some different beers. So tune in live Friday nights. Or listen to our podcast at radiocarum.org. You know you've got nothing better to do. Bang. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Zoomies on Radio Karen. And today we have a delightful pleasure to have Chiara Perry from Point Cook Dog Training chatting with us about doggy daycare. And later on, she'll talk about mind dogs. Chiara, so... Um, in terms of the herding breeds, how do you find the puppies when, you know, they're from herding breeds? How do they get along and mix with the, the daycare facility? The daycare facility um, yes. So they, we, we have to keep an eye on them a little bit because sometimes they tend to fence guard and they tend to want to round up the dogs. Um, and we do have some Australian Shepherds as well in particular. We find that they tend to want to gather all the dogs together and they, they can bark a bit when they want to do that. So... If we do so that, we try to redirect them towards toys and then um, and try to, try to help them just get back into interacting and pairing them up also with other dogs that might play in a similar style so they don't get frustrated. Because I think that's probably one thing we notice is they get frustrated if they're not getting their needs met because they're sort of overthinkers. Um, and then if we do find that they start to, their, their, their instincts are just starting to overrun and they are starting to run the fences a little bit and hurting too much, then those dogs eventually we retire because we can see that that behaviour is just going to escalate and we certainly don't want to uh, es we don't want to actually exacerbate it ourselves. So when we can see it's starting to display in our centre, 
we then retire them pretty quickly. But we've got quite a lot at the moment, quite a lot of Aussie Shepherds, Border Collies. We've got a lot of Kelpies, actually, who self-entertain with balls as well. And um, they tend to do quite well. It's more those that, that start to chase the fences up and down and try to control the group all the time rather than actually be part of it. So and yeah, we monitor them. How did they, so? You mean retire? They can't come anymore because they're behaving. Yeah, correct. So yeah. yeah, when we see them starting, they, they basically the pattern will just continue. Yes. So and uh, there's no matter how much we modify things, it's not going to change because it's that ingrained instinct. So if we start to see that, you know, after a couple goes of trying to redirect and try to just move things around a little bit, it's not helping. No. Then we just stop them, and it's just it becomes daycare's done. No more daycare. It's not worth allowing that behaviour to continue because then the our the risk that we have is that it starts to transfer to their home and to their fence at home, or potentially they might already be doing it, and then they started at the centre. And the last thing we want to do is is be responsible for actually making it worse. So if we do see a little bit of fence running or a little bit of the um, the gathering, we do normally start having a conversation with their with their owners and ask them if they have observed those behaviours at home or at the park. Mm. Um, for those that tend to want to gather a bit more, then there's also, we, we have, you know, also contacts for sheep herding school. Yeah. So we may suggest to them that as a something on the side, it may be worth pursuing that as, a, as another little activity for that dog to go off and actually learn mm -hmm how to control some of those urges, but also have the outlet to have the ability to chase some sheep and round up yeah. and learn properly how to do it. Mm -hmm. So that's something that we would sometimes suggest to these working breeds that just have these instincts that are really, really quite strong. Very good. So uh, any fights has ever happened, though, <laughs> if you don't mind me asking? Uh, rarely, because we screen the dogs so carefully. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we rarely, uh, it's, yeah, I don't think we've had fights, oh, my God, Probably at the very, very start when I first opened, we're, we're talking eight years ago because mm. we were still very new at it and yeah. we were still trying to get the feels for it. Mm. But I don't think we've had anything for years now, years. Um, our screening process is extremely stringent to the point where we've had people almost mock us for how we do it because yeah. they think it's ridiculous, mm -hmm. but it works. And yeah. what we normally do is we we already have a feel before they even enter the, the facility just through the emails mm. whether their dog's actually going to be suitable um, there's a lot of questions that we ask in regards to what's the history with the dog, in regards to playing with other dogs, what's the reason that you want to do daycare. A lot of people have this misconception that at daycare will fix their antisocial dog. Mm -hmm. So if they bring it to daycare, it will now become sociable rather than reactive. So so when we get those kind of sort of th answers thrown at us, they're red flags. And then we have to explain that, yeah, just going to daycare is not going to solve the problem, actually will make it worse. Mm -hmm. um, we also, uh, we then use a, a dummy dog. So we have a, a stuffed dog. And it looks like a real dog. Most dogs think it's a real dog. In fact, all dogs do, um, to the point where even the humans have sometimes startled thinking it's a real dog. <laughs> and we often will present that in a neutral sort of setting and we see how the dog responds. And that response determines whether we progress or not. Mm -hmm. So if the dog responds in your beautiful play bow, butt in the air, hi, how are you, doing all the lovely licking around, then that means we are usually good to go with a live dog would be the next test. Mm -hmm. But if the dog shows signs of fear, it's starting growling, backing away, avoiding, then it's an immediate straight out no. We just don't progress. So because that dog we know is going to only be further stressed and pressured when it comes across a real dog. So we, we're very, very, very strict on, on that protocol and we have been for a long time. And I think that's why we haven't had any issues because we've been, we really filter them through. Mm -hmm. They have to want to show genuine interest and genuine 
I want to be friends with you, yeah, to actually progress the next step, which would be one-on-one with a live dog. Mm-hmm. We have some dogs that are adults, which are really amazing adults, very, very, very sturdy in their temperament in that they they don't get rocked very easily. They're very good with their body language. They're very good at reading. And we would then set up the dog with that dog only, one dog, where they've got plenty of room to move around each other. And then we start observing how they engage, whether we actually see any play initiated and also whether there's reciprocal play going on. From there, the next step is the actual owner has to leave the room and this is where the majority of the dogs fail because what a lot of the owners don't understand is they see their dog playing in the park when they go down to the park with them, but they've never left them. So they assume the dog will be fine at daycare because it plays with dogs, but they haven't ever tested out, will my dog play with dogs when I'm not there? And this is where majority fail because as soon as that person leaves the pen, the dogs completely abort the concept of playing. They're at the fences, you know, trying to jump, pacing, looking up at the ceiling, looking for escape outlets, yeah. And what we normally get in, the owner's not allowed to leave the building. They have to watch this. Um, The assessment, it is they cannot leave the dog. They have to be present because they need to see. Mm. So they watch on the cameras and we actually get them to observe the behaviour and we explain to them, you know, do you notice this? Do you notice that? And can you see what the dog's doing? And we give them probably about five or ten minutes to see if we get recovery. Mm-hmm. If by ten minutes that dog is not showing any interest in going back to play, the assessment's over and that dog will not be coming to our daycare. Oh, right. So, yeah, and then, then depending on the degree of what we're seeing, if it's very clear that there is some separation issues, yes. then we would start discussing a veterinary behaviourist to actually address mm-hmm. the problem. Yeah. So, yeah. Because there could, could yes, be a situation yes. that they had never been on a context of, uh, you know, playing without the owners there. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And then when we when we dig deeper, we actually do, they do start to explain that, yes, the dog yeah. does have this when it's on its own. The dog does destroy. Yeah. They have complaints. And when we start digging deeper as to why do you want to do daycare, it's because yeah. there are problems when they're left alone. Yeah. But they haven't joined the dots that it's not about the dog wants to play with other dogs. It's actually the dog wants to have the person home with them. Yeah, and that's another. That's a completely different completely ball game. Different. That's a that's a behavior problem. Yeah, so exactly. we start discussing that path that they've got to go down. But your daycare is an absolute no for those dogs. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, it happens for eighty percent of the assessments that we do uh, go down that path where they they just can't handle it as soon as their owner leaves the room. Well, because during the the COVID period, uh, the owner couldn't even go in. You know, like I try my young cocker spaniel yeah. twice on a doggy daycare. I couldn't even see behind the screen because it left at the door. Well, we didn't. We just didn't do any assessments during during COVID. Yeah. We did no new assessments. It was just the established dogs, and that was yeah. it. We didn't have because it. we refused to because we needed to make sure that they could be there. Yeah. Um. So they had to wait. But yeah, this is. It's unfortunate we see a lot of this, and and yeah, these dogs don't actually want to be there. They want to be home with their person. Yeah, uh, it's I not about giving them dogs. Yeah, yeah, dogs are not the solution. I noticed that through the videos that were sent to me, well, because you know sometimes when you take a photograph or a, a video camera pointing a dog, not always yes. get comfortable by being, yep. you know, like some like staring at the face. And she was moving away from the person taping. So I thought, is it about the person taping, or she just don't want to interact yes. with the dogs? Yes. That put me question marks in my head. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I, do, I, do, I personally do find it a little bit sad that more people don't ask about what actually happens. So mm. there we get a lot of people just literally demanding, my dog needs to come to daycare today because I've got to do something. Can I just leave it there in the morning, pick it up at night? Without any thought about that dog yes. has never been to our space. That's the it. dog has never met the dogs in the facility. 
that dog has no idea where you're going or what you're up to and there seems to be no thought about well how do you think the dog's going to feel mm-hmm. so and often these people get very offended when we say outright no and it's like it's there's a process you don't just don't throw a dog into a yeah. facility and think it's going to be friends with everybody no. it's same as humans you build your circle and you grow your circle and it takes time it's not just something that happens instantly so uh, yeah we do unfortunately deal with a lot of that and um yeah, sometimes the comments made it can be quite quite upsetting because it's like we're we're really all about the dog and how the dog feels and, and some people just don't really care. Yeah, and do they have like a quiet time, lunch time? Like you down the lights, like a siesta, yeah, nap so time? During, yeah, middle of the day we generally start putting on our classical music. Oh. <laughs> and when the music comes on, the dogs all know this is nap time and uh, generally they Cute. all start to just drop. <laughs> they'll all just hit the ground and they all – it just goes dead silent where you don't even realise there's dogs in the facility. Um, they all have a nap for an hour, sometimes even more, and then you'll see one will get up and then off it goes again. So, uh, yeah, so middle of the day we tend to yeah, get the music going and that just gets them to just come right down and then they fizzle out, have a good snoozy, and then up again in the afternoon. So, yeah, and they, they do it all together. Um, they they don't we don't we used to have put them in crates when the dogs that wanted to go in crates but uh, new legislation says we're not allowed to mm-hmm. so yeah. we just leave them it's just yeah the new legislation I'm not sure who made it but anyway um, so they all just sleep together on the they all have find their spaces on the floor they pick their little sunny spots or they go up on their chairs and uh, they all snooze at the same time it's all very oh, synchronized so we can't force them to sleep it's their choice at the end of the day they need to. They sleep when they want to sleep. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, all we do is just set the ambiance. That's all we <laughs> the do. <ambience. laughs> the ambiance is what we do. <laughs> and then everyone naps. Yeah. <laughs> it's very so cute. How do you do the birthday parties when one specific dog, a regular, has a birthday party? So, how yeah, do you do so the birthday parties as well. A lot of them are our clients who, you know, the dogs already all know each other. So, I think that's really important because I've had parties in the past where people have. Yeah, they're friends, but the dogs don't know each other and they just assume they're all going to be fine and they bring them all in and these dogs are all hating it because they just, they don't, they don't know each other. So I always ask the questions now, do the dogs actually know each other? Because we can then separate the building up into three pens so Mm -hmm. we can have those that do yes, those that don't know each other in separate, so they can be separated. Um, So it depends on the dogs. But with these days and most of the time, it'll be people who we already know and that we know that dogs all have an actual little network. Mm. I had one amazing group last year where we were talking majority of the breeds were Labradors, Rottweilers, big breeds and they've all grown up together from when Aww. they did puppy classes in my oh, classes like three years ago and it was just beautiful seeing these dogs coming in as grown-ups Aww. all who still meet every week down at the park and came to have a party it was just lovely so um so those parties work out really well because those dogs genuinely have a relationship with each other mm-hmm. so it's very very cool Absolutely. and I was, since you mentioned about dog parks so how do you feel when the owners bring their dogs for your then initially the class at the puppy school, then use the dog yep. daycare, and then they, on their spare time, take the dogs to dog parks. And can you perceive some of the behaviors that the dogs start just changing a bit because things they experience yep. at the dog park Without and things control, start going yeah. not well? Yeah. Yep. We discourage dog parks straight out. We just tell everybody in our puppy class, not worth it. It's mm-hmm. just not worth the risk because it's not a controlled environment. Right. Unfortunately, most people don't pay attention to their dogs. They're on their phones and they're just yes. doing their own thing. And, and, I don't know if it happens on the eastern side of Melbourne, but on the western side of Melbourne, there's been lots of cases where people come and actually just drop their dogs off in the park and then go home. 
Um, yeah, yeah. And then they come back an hour later and hope that their dog is tired. And that's just that's just not on because the, people are not supervising. Yes. Um, so we discourage the dog park. And what we instead encourage is that during playtime in the classes, if their puppy gets on really well with another puppy in class, exchange numbers, create your own circle. Mm-hmm. Um, we do see dogs that go into a park, they get ambushed, they get, um, you know, pinned to the ground once. And then we notice immediately and they come to class the following week, that the dog is playing differently. Mm-hmm. And then yes. usually we get the story of, uh, yes, there was a dog that came rushing up to it, and um, and that dog sometimes doesn't recover. So we're very mindful with the babies, especially with lack mm-hmm. of experience, mm-hmm. just to not go into those kind of environments. It's not worth the risk. Yeah, not because risk. like so, yeah. in the past, I have done the groups, but you have to realize that my groups were coming from my classes. So it was mm. similar what you did, but it was on a park, but I was – choosing a park on a quiet time and when there are almost no other dogs yes, there. So they, yeah, we yeah, came yeah, to our groups, yeah. to our schoolmaster, all the dogs were experienced, yes. so they are youngsters learning from them. And yeah. it was our control, never had a problem. But nowadays, what you see in dog parks, especially after yeah. COVID. Yeah. Well, I was for a period running uh, adult classes in a park before I actually opened up my own facility. Right. And um, and I initially it was great, but then, yeah, we would have people randomly walking through mm. with their dogs off lead, yeah, thinking it was okay, and then it would just set off all, all sorts of dramas, and it was becoming too challenging. Mm. People are not as responsible now as they used to be, yeah. so mm-hmm. it can be a bit frustrating because they don't have their voice control for recall, and it's, yeah, it is a little bit frustrating now where you hope to be walking safely, but you can't because not everyone has their dogs under control. Yeah, and um, mm-hmm. like um, I was talking to Yara in Castle last week and she mentioned yes. that the fenced parks <laughs> actually sometimes is the worst because the people don't even, some of them don't even call them back because they think, well, it's fully yes. fenced. They can do what they want and, you know, yes. just here to play. Yeah. And So when yep. it's actually open, at least they're trying to get some recall correct. going. But, yeah, uh, correct. Uh, and I agree. I think the open parks now are almost safer because you have to have an element of voice control mm. because there is no boundary holding them in. So I think the fence parks, the concept is wonderful to keep dogs safe, but it's also brought out the irresponsible owners who don't uh, manage their dogs well because they, they, they can't go anywhere, they can't escape. And uh, it's not the, the fence park's not for every dog. No, Sorry. absolutely. Yeah, so be careful. we are going to go for another little break and yep. we're going to be right back. And you're listening to Radio Karen. Hello, I'm Con. And I'm Stav. And, and we're we Eddie Nucky. You're listening to Radio Karam. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Zoomies on Radio Karen. Chiara, I was going to ask you next how do you find that when. Um, Every year I get audited by the local council, yeah, and then I have to show my public liability insurance, qualifications, yep. Yep. police check, and um, yep. tetanus vaccination, all the caboodles. But yes. then um, I ask the question to them, why you don't check dog walkers? Um, you yes. know, why are they not registered with council and pay a fee as well? What about the dog daycares? Yep. And then my, the co- answer that came to me for the ranger was dog daycares, the centers get checked once they open and they've got specific numbers, maximum capacity they can have. Yes. But after that, it doesn't happen. And I said, why you don't do random checks once a year as well and ask all this paperwork? And I am get surprised with the answers. Like, uh, I don't want to beg the counsels, but for me, anyone who works with dogs needs to have at least a minimum qualification understanding what they're doing. I agree. Totally agree. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, totally agree. There's too many places that are opening where the people who are running the show just basically just love dogs. Um, it's not as simple as running dogs. It is like managing a childcare centre just with dogs. <laughs> and it's and there's a lot of, of constant, constant observation and constant negotiating and working with these dogs. You can't just have them all in there and just let you not actually know anything about behaviour and body language um, and understanding, again, the, the motivating factors behind behaviour. You need to know that. I think it's also you need to have an element of understanding even about the, the the physical side of the dog to know whether the dog is potentially even lame, showing discomfort. There's a lot that comes with it. So I, I, I totally agree. I think the counsellors sometimes don't ask the correct questions. So they check about the floor surfaces, what we mm. clean our floor with, but they don't ask what do you do with the dogs. Mm. And I, I sometimes I find that really, again, it saddens me that they're not asking those questions because there are other facilities that run uh, daycare centres and they're not doing very nice things with the dogs in there. And they're not asking those questions. I'd love for them to randomly come in and see what we do and uh, and actually proudly show them what we do and how we run it. But they don't. They just want to tick their little boxes That's and it. not actually take into consideration what is actually happening with those dogs in the facility. So, yeah, it's, it's yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know who, who asks those questions or who sets out the rules but I think there's still a lot that they need to do to learn and actually understand what our industry is all about. Yeah, and um, the answer that came to me was because it's actually at the federal level. And I thought, how can the dog trainers are on the state level and you check and what about why the other professionals on the pet industry yes. have to be on the yes. federal level? Yep. You know, for I, me, I don't understand that. Yeah. I don't understand why yeah, dog walkers can walk dogs on choker chains, shock collars. There's yep. quite a few around out there now yep. with that and also slip leads. And they're not being checked They're not being checked at all as to what they do, how they do it. Um, it's okay for them to walk 20 dogs with one person, but then we have to have, you know, four dogs to two people. It's, mm -hmm. It just makes no sense. It's just, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I often question myself thinking, who is actually asking the questions? Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. not the questions that I would be asking, and I'd be always asking questions coming from the angle of the dog's perspective mm -hmm. and what's important for the dog, so... Yeah, yeah, I know. Maybe it'll change one day in our yeah, lifetime, Adriana. It is an unregulated <laughs> industry, and we are trying to see if bit by bit it can be changed. Oh, definitely. But I'd love so for the industry to be regulated. To it. Yep. Yeah, yep. Okay. Yep, absolutely. So now I was going to try to go into the area of mind dogs. Yep. So for pet owners who don't know, what actually is a mind dog? So a mind dog is a psychiatric assistance dog. Um, these are dogs that are trained to work with their handlers. So it's not a dog that has been purchased for somebody and trained up for somebody. These are the dogs that are actually living with their person. The person often um, uh, has a variety of, of complex uh, mental health illnesses. So, And the idea is that these dogs alleviate these conditions. Um, the dogs can be any breed. So we have all breeds. I tested one today who had his very first test and he passed it beautifully. He was a little dachshund. Mm. Um, but what he has done for his person is incredible. So these um, these dogs will help these people navigate society. They will help them navigate being in public spaces. Um, some of them have moved on and actually started to, to get jobs. They've gone back to be educated further because they now have the confidence to with their dog beside them. And these dogs have got a very strong bond where they detect changes in their person's mm. mood, demeanour, um, their physical sense as well, and they act on it. And that's just incredible when you see them do these kind of things because they prevent things from escalating. Mm. Um, and, and it's amazing because that, that escalation is what puts these people into such a state and the dogs actually can pick it up. 
really, really early. We don't train the dogs to do that. We, our, our role is to train the dogs to be able to do the skills in public, such as mm-hmm. the stay and recalling, not sniffing, um, being able to tolerate being in a lift okay and going on public transport. That's what our job is. Mm-hmm. But the actual the, the tasks that are required, which is what the dog does to help its 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 owner feel safer and feel more confident and be able to alert to a lot of their their symptoms, is organically derived. They just they naturally do it because they are with their person all the time. Mm-hmm. And say if they sense that the person is going for a really down period, like suddenly, how, what yep. do they do then to try to... So some yeah. dogs will immediately start to nibble fingers. Some okay. dogs will start nudging. Right. They'll start to poke the, the person's leg. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them will start to stare at them and they won't stop staring at them until mm. they will snap out of it, until the person snaps out of it. Some dogs will actually grab sleeves and start tugging. Some will even start barking, stand on feet. Um, then we have dogs that will actually put their entire body and sit on the person's chest. They're trying to regulate their heartbeat back to normal. Yeah. Um, and some dogs will crawl right up into the neck space. So they're getting up really close to the jugular vein. So they, they know exactly what they're doing. Um, we have so many that can detect it at such an early point that you almost think there's nothing wrong. What's going on? And then they start to realize that their heart's beating faster they might start to feel a bit clammy mm-hmm. um, they're starting to realize that their their peripheral vision starting to go because they're starting to almost zone out and these dogs pick these up these signs up very quickly Gee, it's unbelievable so how do they get assessed as suitable to be trained as a mind dog so uh so there are so in victoria four assessors one in ones is my as myself i tend to do all the rural dogs which are all the ones heading way out into the middle of victoria mm-hmm. Um, and then, so initially they have to put an application in to uh, show that, yes, the person does have to have a mental health illness, the dog is reasonably healthy, um, has already had a vet check done and everything. They tick all those boxes first up. Uh, then a diary is submitted in, which just gives the organisation an idea of what that dog's like. And then we get given the information and then we go out and see the, the dog. And what we're doing is basically looking at whether the dog is comfortable around strangers because I'm a stranger. We're looking at whether the dog is comfortable around dogs and children because they're going to come across that when they're in public spaces. We need to say that the dog's had a bit of experience. So it's already maybe been in a little bit of a crowded environment. It's been around noise. It's already walked on various surfaces. Mm. Um, so they've had experience. So we want to know that they've, they've already been through a bit of that. They've had a bit of training. But more than anything, we need to see that they're co- they're confident and we also need to see that that dog is bonded to that person. And when we tick those boxes, uh, sometimes do- there's homes that I walk into where immediately it's obvious that that dog it was meant for that job. Mm-hmm. Um, it's immediate. And then from there, the process begins where we then uh, grant them the vest. So a vest arrives, they get an ID card. They have the same access rights even as a trainee, as a guide dog does. So once their vest arrives, they are able to access uh the world they can start going everywhere mm. and for a lot of people especially people who are agoraphobic just having your dog beside you allows you to now start going back to the supermarket mm. which some of them may not have done for 10 years mm. so i've had so many where they've gone to the cinema for the first time in something mm. like 15 years oh, because i was too scared to it was from their traumas their traumas mm. just stopped them from doing all these things and having that dog you'd think surely a dog can't do that but the, but just having them there knowing that 
they can help you is 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 yeah, it's life changing for these people. Yeah, so it's, yeah, well, I love it. It's a it's so, such a rewarding, rewarding. job. Such a rewarding job. Is there any yeah. particular age that uh, minimum age that they can start being trained to become? Um, so they can't apply till they're six months of age, and they have to be desexed before they can apply. Uh, but try, some of them start right from the moment they get them as puppies. They start already exposing. They're more careful about what they're exposing to. Um, they're just they're focusing a lot more on that bond right from the very very beginning. But we do also have middle aged dogs that start from yeah they've never done it before and they we give them a try. If we're seeing again that they're sociable, great with strangers, great with kids, great with dogs, then those middle aged dogs we also will accept. Um, the elderly we we won't be purely because there's not going to be by the time they finish they're not going to they're not going to get there. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's no definition on what's what's aged because we know little dogs can be 12, 13 and they're still completely fine. So it is case by case. We have had some dogs who've started as as, as old as 10 oh, and have goodness. been absolutely incredible and had good three or four years of working life yeah. and enough to make, the, make a difference to that person. Mm-hmm. So there's no yes or no. It is case by case. So I will see them as, yeah, as they are as individuals and then grant them what what I by going by what I see basically mm-hmm. do you find that some people might get confused with mind dogs and assistance dogs the terminology well, a mind dog is an assistance dog, yeah, so it is an assistance dog. It's yeah, just it's a psychiatric specific. assistance dog. Yeah. So, um, and yes, some some people don't quite know what they are. They because especially I think what confuses a lot of the general public is we have all breeds. Mm-hmm. So, whereas most assistance dogs, most people recognise are Labradors or maybe a Golden Retriever. So, so when people see us walking in with a Chihuahua, <laughs> a little vest, you can imagine the looks we might get where they look yeah. at us like that. Surely can't do anything, mm-hmm. but it's not about the breed or the size it's about how well that dog knows its person and how well that dog acts on anything it sees as a, is a change in that person's state of mind mm-hmm. that is beautiful <laughs> we are going just for another tiny break and yeah. we'll be back in a little while in a tick we're listening to zoomies on radio karen Hello, my name is Dave Graney. I am an underworld musician of many years standing. I'm here to ask you to tune in to my fellow traveller, my comrade, Radio Karam. Welcome everyone, you're listening to Zoomies on Radio Karam and we're chatting with Chiara Perry. Chiara, so I was going to ask you, how, is it very expensive to train a dog to be a mind dog? Uh, no, I wouldn't say very expensive. So... We generally recommend monthly lessons with their trainer and we, we handpick the trainers because we need to make sure that they are force-free, strictly force-free because Mind Dog is a force-free organisation. Um, and we also need to make sure that the people who are going to work with our clients have got a lot of empathy. They actually have a bit of an understanding about mental health illness. So um, so when we've handpicked these these trainers, we do encourage that it's a, it's a monthly lesson. However, some dogs, again, born for it. They are so good and so easy to train that they don't need lessons that regularly so so it is again individually based but it's not overly expensive so over a year it may if they're doing monthly lessons they may be looking at about fifteen hundred dollars all up Mm -hmm. um and then we do also help them try to apply for funding with ndis so that's another thing that we are we often will help them with because that can take a bit of the the pressure off them especially if they are struggling to pay for a trainer um but we we will generally do everything we can to, to accommodate them stretch out as much as we can so that it doesn't become too expensive for them but yeah once a month at them at, at 
at the most we try to push and that's that's it really depending on the dog depending on the dog mm-hmm. sometimes the dog actually doesn't need the doesn't need so much of the training it's more that the person wants that support as well while they're training so it can be a little bit more sometimes for the actual person that they want that support to make sure that they're doing it all correctly to be guided by it and the dog actually is doing it quite easily mm-hmm. but you uh, you wouldn't suggest doing on zoom you really need a one-to-one with the client <laughs> face to face yeah, yeah face look we face. have there are some that have tried to do it by zoom and it can be a little bit challenging because then they have to organize another person to be present to hold the camera yeah it's impossible to do it while you're holding the camera yourself mm-hmm. um We do also do a lot of communicating in between where there's videos being mm-hmm. sent to us. So we always encourage the owner, if you've gone on a bus or a tram, get a video. Mm-hmm. If you've had a little bit of a play date with a child or a friend's child, get a little video to show us. So we always encourage them to send us videos. So we don't just see the dog once or twice a year, but we actually get little snapshots in between mm-hmm. while they're working, you know, between their trainers and while they're waiting to be tested. So um, the more history we get, the more uh, consistency we see with the dogs, the better it is in the long term. But yeah, we tend to prefer face to face and I think most of the teens prefer face to face too because they have that live support. For sure. So, yep. you know, usually it takes like a, about a year, a year and a half. 12 months, the yeah, whole... 12 months, yeah. 12 months, yeah. So after the, I see them the first time or any of the assessors see them, they get their vests and then they, at six months we review them and see how they've been going. And by that point, they should have already integrated into shops and they should have already done the bulk of what they're required to do. And then the last six months is all about fine-tuning, so really making sure, like in lifts, they're tucking nicely, making sure that in the supermarkets they're, they're, they're nice and slow through the aisles and there's no sniffing at all um, with, you know, ex- exercises. Like at the cafe, by that point, want to see that they're really tucking under the table on their blankets and very settled and then even dropping food on the floor that they don't touch it. So mama's dogs at the second At their, sorry, at their, at their six-month mark when we do their review, mum's dogs are actually already able to pass their test. Wow. They, they put a lot of effort in. And then by the 12-month mark, those dogs do their tests very easily. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I find really rewarding is that these people are so committed. Beautiful. But there's a very high success rate. The dogs do extremely mm-hmm. well in environments that are quite challenging quite when you think about it. Yeah. yeah. Do you yeah. have any particular breeds that tend to do better than others or nah. others more challenging like nah. uh, herding I breeds? I can't say that there is. I've got such a range of dog breeds. We've got quite a lot of chihuahuas actually, <laughs> a lot of chihuahuas which just always blow my mind because they're the <laughs> sweetest little things. Um, I recently tested a great Pyrenees. Oh, gee. Um, who is bigger than my coffee table, like huge, <laughs> draws every bit of attention Jeez. in the shop. And yet, and this dog is, he weighs the same as his owner. Like she's a small, like a slight shape <laughs> build, yeah. So, and it's like, how does someone like that walk a dog so big? And yet this dog tiptoes next to her beautifully. It's just, it's amazing watching them work. Um, yeah, every breed you can think of. I've got a lot mm. of working breeds we have, actually. A lot of Kelpies, mm. a lot of Border Collies. Um, Kelpies, I think, if, if they're not working on a farm, they actually make really good assistance dogs because mm. they want to work, they want a job. Mm. That's it. That's so job. we see a lot of Kelpies and they thrive in that yeah. setting because they're actually being given challenges to do. Um, so that we, yeah, that we see a lot of. And then obviously we get a lot of the Oodles, a lot of the Labradoodles, <laughs> Cavoodles. We see a lot of those. Um, for the people that tend to also have some allergies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's no specific breed that's easy to train in. They're all just individuals. I, that's how I see them. I just see them as four-legged, furry creatures, individuals, mm-hmm. and we just do what we can with them. Wow. 
That is sensational. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now going to dog training before we finish for today, I just want how did you see the how dog training has changed from the time you started with the Delta course and when you started yeah, dramatically, up yeah. to now and how you feel the way it's going? Yeah. Yeah. I think we are heading in the right direction. So when I started, it was I was one of the very few force-free trainers. Um, it was still very much choke a chain, make your dog do it. Your dog has to listen. I have to be the alpha. There is definitely a big shift from there because I find when I do theory and we explain what it used to be like, most people now look at me with their mouth open, actually gasping at the thought that that used to happen. So it's a really nice change that more people don't don't think the traditional way, but more people are thinking from a more empathetic angle mm -hmm. and about the needs of the dog. So I think that has changed enormously. I think where there still needs to be a bit of a shift is is people seeing their dogs through their dog's eyes. I think there's mm -hmm. still a little bit of a change there that needs to occur. So, you know, if your dog's getting rejected from daycare, for example, it's not because you, you're a bad person. It's because your dog just doesn't like it. So I think it needs to still shift a little bit there. And then I think we're definitely heading in the right direction. People now know dogs have feelings. Mm. People now know that dogs have emotions like we do and, and they just display it a little bit differently. But people now understand that and people understand dogs have anxiety. So that for me is really quite um, – it's quite – it's reassuring that we're heading in the right direction from that side of things. I think where I want to see – a shift, and I'd like to see it in my lifetime, is to regulate my industry. Because oh, yes. what still does distress me is when I see dogs that have come to me that have been to other trainers mm. who've been abused by yeah, the trainer. Totally agree. And I think that still breaks my heart that they get to me eventually and they've tried and tried and tried and the information that they've been given is very outdated, mm. very punitive. Um, in some ways, also, yeah, it's a welfare issue. Yes, it is. But because the industry is not regulated, these trainers get away with it. Yes. No, so, yeah, I think there. that's what I want to see change is my industry. Yeah, I'd yeah. like to see my lifetime as well. Hopefully that's Correct. I'll be so happy if it happens in my lifetime. And I, I think we maybe are getting a step closer because we have a lot of vet behaviourists now and behaviour specialists who are starting to have a bit of a, a voice. There's, there's mm -hmm. a bit of a move and I think yeah. there's enough science now and enough to back up there's a reason we're moving to force free mm. and and there's a reason that we're starting to understand dogs more so i think i think it'll happen i yeah. hope <laughs> yeah well and you've got the, our professional associations as well trying their bit you know i think sometimes you Correct. need uh, to yeah. unite all of them together to get more strength <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> right and i think way. the average person now knows that it's not the right thing mm. I, I think if you if you ask most people which option would you take would you like to you know use a shock collar mm. or would you prefer to have a relationship with your dog where it's 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 mutual and it's reciprocal and it's respectful i think the majority of people now would go well of course i want that relationship so if that's where we're going, then that's a good sign. That's a really good sign. Yeah. I was going to ask you, how do you approach like a client that has been exposed, like say had a dog 10 years ago and it did got exposed to, you know, balanced trainers and has used quite a bit of aversive methods. And then like they come to you and they start seeing the light, but they still carry quite a bit, you know, those previews. Yeah. <laughs> and the they're still watching yeah. the yeah. crossover. You're still watching some YouTube videos that show yes. some dominance things. Yeah. And, and, and then you're trying to, without becoming too strong on them. Yes. You know? Yeah. I, I, I yeah. think what I just keep always throwing back the angle of start listening to your dog, start hearing your dog and actually 
use you think through science like we've got evidence we've got we've got really great observation skills so rather than using our emotions and and labeling and doing all the things that without making it into one big mess start actually observing the behavior for what it is and start really getting into it deeply because you you, you get to another another world once you start to understand behavior so for those that find it really hard i think it's I can I acknowledge them when they do say that it's hard because a lot of them admit they still want to correct and all I do is just keep coaching them. Mm. Relax the lead. You don't need, you don't need to jerk the lead. Just relax the lead. And then they see through that the results. They actually start to see the improvement and they realize that yeah, the older stuff, the traditional stuff is not necessary. It's just not necessary. So I think, you know, I, most of the time we have great success again with the people who have been traditionally trained in the past but um occasionally you get some that there's no matter what you say or do can't change them and and those are the ones that i just have to hope that that dog does well thank I, you there's so not much we can do yeah. we can't convince everybody but i can only do so much and explain it yeah, through how we work with science and everyone has to make their informed decision at the end of the day yes. but the proof is the proof is there and when you work with the dogs and you work with kindness the proof is there Yes. I work with dangerous dogs every week when I'm doing my uh, assessments with dogs that, that have got, you know, display aggression for multiple reasons. Mm-hmm. I work with a lot of cases under vet behaviourists where they've also, again, there's bite history. I haven't yet been bitten by one of those dogs. Wow, that's a very good thing. And I work with yes. them closely. I'm not working like metres away in a special suit yeah, with my, you know, attack guard. I'm <laughs> working with these dogs and usually I win them over within a couple sessions where they're eating out of the palm of my hand. Yeah. And, and these are dogs that would be, you know, with the more traditional trainers would mm. say they need to be corrected. You need to be the boss. You need yes, to do this. You, need, you know, and that's not going to help those dogs. No. And, and when they start to notice these dogs soften up in my presence where I'm not yelling at them, I'm not correcting, I'm not doing anything, they start to say, hang on a minute, this, this, is, this is actually working. Mm. So that's you just got to be kind. Cute. That's, yeah, just be kind. That's <laughs> think, it, just be I kind. Think we've all just got to tap into the kindness. Yes, the kindness. <laughs> well, so thank you so much for joining us today. It was such a, you're like a, a huge knowledge and nice to cover three areas like that, the dog they care, the mind dogs, and your experience as a dog trainer. I really appreciate your thank you. sharing all this information with us. So I think that's it for today, Kiara. And, uh, thank you very much. Yes, Thanks for the opportunity. Pleasure. No, yes. I really appreciate it. Thank yes, you. It's been fun. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> See you guys. Bye. So we are going to start finishing our podcast. One thing I was going to mention, I have a webinar that I'm going to present live for the Pet Professional Guild Australia. And uh, it is about how to use pet services, dog walking, pet sitting, dog daycare. Uh, some of the things that Kiara mentioned now, but because before I actually became a dog trainer, I have done these services for about 17 years, and I used to do it in a quite different way. And I find that the clients out there get a bit confused who to choose. So we're going to go quite in depth about what exactly the terminology is out there, the pet sitter, what actually is, what do they do, a pet minder, to have a house sitter coming and save your dog, what are his training walks, and what is just dog walking. There can be a solo dog walk, can be uh, two or three printed dogs being walked on a leash by a professional handler, or small groups of leash. Okay, so that I'll go. And I'll go as well through on this webinar the qualifications, the qualifications out there that you really would be looking for in a professional of this field, and uh, where would you find them. 
okay, because has a lot changed since the days when I started uh, as a pet pal starting in 2001. And so I have a lot to contribute my inside of the journey. So where you find information about the webinar at the Pet Professional Guild website, www.ppgaustralia.net.au slash events and then you go to our webinars live and you can register and uh, then once you register be lovely to have you listening live so you could ask questions to us at the end or if you can't because you're busy or you need to find a better time you register and then the taping the recording will be sent to you and you can have the enjoyment to listen at your own convenient time okay so thank you so much for being with us today we really appreciate all this wonderful time and that Kiara gave to us and so much insight in her industry and the journey that has been for her as a professional trainer so thank you guys and have fun with your dogs and a wonderful weekend ahead for you okay bye